uh, I'm preaching it, but because it's your word, and, and we know that uh, your word will not return void, and so we pray that it would scatter and the seed would be sown and land in fertile soil of our hearts, and that your Holy Spirit would do his perfect work in us, Lord, and I pray that uh, not by power or by might, but um, by the Spirit and uh, through the Son and for you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're so glad you've decided to worship with us today. If you're just finding your seat, welcome here. There's plenty, so feel free to spread out. If you're joining us online, thank you so much. I know it's hard to stay connected in this time of distancing, and yet you have made the intentional decision to set aside time and connect with God and your church family here. And We are thankful that you are going through this discipline of staying plugged in. Thank you very much. Um, we are, as you know, beginning a new year, and therefore we're beginning a new sermon series, and that sermon series is in the book of Colossians. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about that here in a second. But um, essentially, it's, it's a pairing of... Uh, our mission and vision with God's Word. We want God's Word to drive us. And one of the things that uh, we say in our new vision is that we want to take one step closer to Jesus every day. So maybe it's a new year, you set out, you made some new resolutions, and you're like, all right, this is what we're going to do this year. This is how we're going for it, you know. We want to help you with that. We want to journey together with you in that as we all move one step closer to Jesus. And we think the book of Colossians is a great, great way to do that. It is what theologians call Christocentric or Christ-centered. It's all about Jesus, and that's what we want to be as well. Now, obviously, this week, there's been a lot of stuff. Can we just say that up front? Whoa, you know? And some people ask me, hey, Pastor Jeremy, are you going to preach a sermon on that? And frankly, I don't really like to do that. I don't want to preach a sermon on something. I want to preach a sermon on someone, okay? You see what I'm saying? I don't want to talk about yada, yada, yada. I want to talk about you-know-who. I want to talk about Jesus, and this text does that very well. And so I will address some of the specific issues that we run into today in the United States of America and our culture and the struggles we face. But I want to do that in the context of God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in the very first uh, verse, and we're going to go through this whole book, and I promise you it is beautiful like no other. This is Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please follow along because we're going to keep dipping in and out of it. If you don't, that's okay too. It'll be up on the screen for you to follow along at home or if you're uh, viewing online or whatever. Colossians chapter 1. It says this, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus And the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. 
which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is how you live as citizens in our world. Walk worthy, fully pleasing to him. Four different ways. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Number two, increasing in the knowledge of God. Number three, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And number four, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, if you're reading this book for the first time, I hope you're not, but if you're not and you're not familiar with the Bible, hey, this is a great place to start. Four chapters, really short read. I mean, digest it quickly, but dig into it deeply. It reads like a letter. There's a to and a from. And it's kind of special to me because I'm still in that um, family stage where I get drawings from some of my children. Not all of my children like to do art, but I have one or two that do. And my youngest, she likes to draw me these little pictures. And um, before she could read or write really well, like she does now, uh, they would sometimes have some typos or misspellings or little issues, you know. And so it often say, to dad, from Eden. And I loved it. I mean, it delights my soul. Some of my other children would say, oh, I learned to spell it right, whatever. But for me, it was beautiful. Why? Because it's different than all of the junk mail I receive every day. The trash in my box that says, to Joe Smith or current resident. Trash. You know, that's not personal. That's not meaningful. All they want is my money. But this other person, they love me and they did this for me and they're sharing it with me. This is something I want to hear about. Such is the case with this letter of the Apostle Paul. It's a to and a from, but it's not junk mail. It's from their loving pastor to these people and he really wants them to hear what he has to say. It's personal, it's special, not just to them, but to us as well. But that's not all, though. There's also another side of the relationship. There's the personal, there's the loving, there's the special, but there's an authority there as well. It's not just, you know, warm fuzzies. He's going to have to say some hard things. He's going to have to challenge. He's going to have to lean in. And that may make them a little bit uncomfortable. And like, hey, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Ah, stay in your own business. That's personal. And this guy says, yeah, I'm Paul. The apostle. 
the apostle. And what that brings with it is a unique authority that nobody else on earth shares. Nobody. I don't speak to you as an apostle. There are no other apostles. There's only 12 apostles, the ones that Jesus specifically chose and appointed. If anybody else calls themselves an apostle, they're self-nominated, and that's not right. They have to be specifically initiated by Christ himself. And so Paul reminds the people, hey, I'm Paul. I'm, I'm your brother. I'm your, I'm your spiritual father, the apostle. So when he speaks as an apostle, it's the word of God. He's coming with the authority of Christ himself. And so what he says, they have to bend a knee to. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, not by his own appointment, but by the will of God. By the will of God. This is God's choosing, not Paul's. And there's Timothy, our brother. A brother, not an apostle. Now it's written to the saints... And faithful brothers, let's take a look at this verse. Verse 2. Where are they? To the saints and faithful brothers, where? Verse 2. We got it? Where are they? Colossae, good. Where else? There are two locations here in Christ. Exactly right. And there then, my brothers and sisters, is the struggle. There's the tension. We are at Midland, but in Christ. We're in the United States of America, which right now... But in Christ, in heaven. And there's this war within our souls that pulls and tugs and we want things to be better and we know they should be and we try and struggle but it just never gets there. Why is this not heaven on earth? Because it's not. We will never have heaven on earth until we have Christ on earth. And what we have now are governments and politics and opinions and social media and rants and riots and whatever. And that stuff is yuck and it'll never get us there. But what is real, what is beautiful, what is true is our eternal home, our hope, our calling in heaven. And that is where our souls long to go. That is the place we belong. Because as 1 Peter says, here and now we are aliens, we are foreigners. We are citizens of another kingdom. We belong somewhere else. Our citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. And if that is the case, how then do we live? Well, there's four ways. There's four ways that this passage is going to show us How to live in this in-between, in this terrible tension of belonging in heaven, but being on earth, what do we do? Four ways in Colossians. Look at verse 10 and following. I want to read that. I made them pop a little bit the first reading. I want to do it again. Verse 10. This is how we walk in our current situation. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. How? Bearing fruit, that's one way. Increasing in knowledge of God, that's the other. Being strengthened, and then the Paul stuff. And number four, verse 12, giving thanks. Four ways 
that we walk worthy in our current spot. So let's look at the first one then. How do we live? How do we live in the in-between? The first thing it says is to increase in knowledge. And maybe you're a bookworm and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. And maybe you're not and you're like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But that's not necessarily exactly what this is saying here. What the Bible does is pretty cool, as you can imagine. It pairs knowledge and action and it never separates the two. We always separate them. We're like, well, it's not what you know, but what you do, or this or that. And and the Bible's like, no, 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 no. See, the Bible understands the human person better than that. And really, if you walk it backwards from what we do, what we do is out here, it comes from our hearts, but what's in our hearts is often from our heads. See, we put thoughts in our heads, and that affects how we feel, and then we do what we feel. And the Bible knows that those things are all combined, and so it works through them here, and it talks about knowledge, not because it's just gain knowledge, but it's saying what you put in your head is what goes in your heart, and what goes in your heart comes out through your hands. So don't put stuff in your head that you don't want in your heart. And because it'll eventually come out in your hands. So increase in knowledge then of what? Well, it tells us in verse 13 of God himself, of God. How do we increase in God? Let me help you with that right now. Verse 13, increase in knowledge of God. Well, who is God? What did he do? Verse 13, he rescued us or delivered, as this text translates, from the domain of darkness and transferred. So there's two things that God did. Two things that God did. He rescued and he transferred. He rescued or delivered and he transferred Now, that's a big deal because what happens here is this text is drawing on their historical experience. The Israelite people will always look back at the Exodus. I've heard someone summarize all of their celebrations like this. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. There's a feast or festival for everything, and that's important because you want to remember the ways in which God has acted in history because that gives you hope for the future. We'll get to that here in a minute. But here's the thing. God has rescued us, and and that word rescue is really rescue. It's not just deliver like, okay, deliver the mail. It's like, I'm in big trouble. I'm about to die, and if somebody doesn't help me out, I'm going down. He has saved us. He has rescued us. He has delivered us. We were about to be killed. We were captured by an enemy. That which verse 13 calls a domain. A domain. This is also translated as authority or power. It brings the idea of darkness and an evil. That we were enslaved and captured like in a dungeon. And we were under this authority and power. So that before Christ we could not do right. We did not have that power. We didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we were under that authority and we could not escape. But then God in His grace comes. He rescues us from that. And He transfers us from that domain, authority, or power to the kingdom of His Son. Now notice it didn't say the kingdom of the United States of America. As far as I look, that's not in there. I've never seen our country in the Bible. Don't get me wrong, I love our country, but it is not my first allegiance. And it shouldn't be yours either. Yes, we pledge allegiance to the flag, but that allegiance doesn't come anywhere close to our allegiance to Jesus Christ. 
So if your institutions are crumbling and you feel like your hope is gone, that means your hope is in the wrong place. The United States could go away and nothing changes for us. Because we're citizens of another country. I heard someone um, on the news, the various reactions, talking about what had happened this week. And one person said, the temple of democracy has been profaned. And indeed, that's the way other countries see us. Like, we're something to look up to. It's beautiful, it's sacred, it's, whole, it's almost holy, it's wonderful that governments would function in a representative sort of way, and that's so cool. But if our hope is in our government, it's only temporary, and it's not eternal. My hope is in Christ and his kingdom, and I hope yours is there too, because what that means is his kingdom will not fall. It cannot be shaken. And he sits on the throne now and will forever and ever, and there's nothing that can stop him. We belong to another kingdom. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that applies whether you're in Colossae or Midland or Mexico or Indonesia or China or wherever. It doesn't matter. You're citizens of another country. And so when you grow in this knowledge, what happens in verse 6 is it says that all of a sudden you begin to understand God's grace understood, verse 6b, the grace. And how transforming that is. How changing. To go from discouragement and despair and disenchantment and disenfranchise to freedom and joy and hope and peace. And all of a sudden, what you realize is, man, wow, it's all grace. Like, it's all grace. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes you may hear someone have an expression, like probably I've used, and you'd be like, oh, merciful Jesus, <laughs> please help me now. And then right after that, you might say something like, God, I need your grace. Oh, Lord, mercy. But what's the difference? Mercy, grace, are they all the same? Here's the thing. Listen closely. You can write it down if you're a note taker and you got your Bible. And I'll walk it through here in just a second. So, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. What do you mean by that? Let me put another word in each one of those and see if I can help. Mercy is when we don't get the punishment we deserve. And grace is when we get the blessing we deserve. Mercy is when we don't get the punishment we deserve. Grace is when we get the blessing we deserve. And believe me, if you're, if you're like me, we want them both. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've made bad decisions. I know I live with the consequences of many of those actions. and They're terrible and I don't like it and I hate it and it's no good. And so when I cry out to Jesus, when I grow in the knowledge of his transfer and his rescue, I say, Lord, have mercy. 
don't give me the punishment I deserve, but transfer me to the kingdom of light so I can enjoy the blessing that I haven't earned. God, shower me with your mercy and deliver me. Shower me with your grace and bless me. Move me from one realm to another. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me the blessing that I don't. God, we praise you for your mercy and grace. Amen? He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's the first thing. We increase in knowledge. It changes you. It really does. When you grow in that, you're like, wow, I want to live different. That's not me. This is me. Let's go this way. We are under a new authority, a new power. One of the things I think is funny about that is even though we're under this new authority, we're still sinners. And we all balk at authority. I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. But regardless, whichever decision you make, you're under authority. So if you go over here and sin, all that means is you've placed yourself back under the evil authority. But if you're over here and you submit to Jesus in freedom, then you're under his authority. God, shower us with your mercy and grace. Number one, we increase in knowledge. Number two, says to bear fruit, or bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Okay, so what's the fruit? Well, the Bible has several things that it lists as fruit of the Spirit. But I would um, emphasize the things that are in this passage, which happen to be particularly meaningful for today. And the first one is in verse 5. It is hope. It is hope. In verse 5, it says, because of the hope, laid up for you in heaven. Now, when we think of hope, if you're like me and a lot of Americans, you're like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today, or I hope my team wins, or I hope whatever. I hope this, or I hope that. And it's kind of a wishful thinking. It's not a concrete reality. But more recently, we, we looked at hope, particularly on Go Local Sunday, when we celebrated the work of the many volunteers in the EFCA with our... Um, crisis response team and the local flood victims and we said and one of the things we heard over and over again is they oh they gave us hope they gave us hope well what is hope there were some great definitions in there and one of the things that dan holman said was that hope is the expectation of good hope is the expectation of good you see when you assume a negative outcome you know what that's called anxiety anxiety is the assumption of a negative outcome But hope is the assumption of a positive outcome. And biblically speaking, it's different than I hope it won't rain today. No, real biblical hope is like another person in that video, what they said. They said, believing in what we can't see based upon previous knowledge. That's why these feasts and festivals and remembrances are important because we look back at what God has done in the cross and in our lives and throughout history, and we say, wow, look at what he did. Now, I know he's not going to die on the cross again, but based on that, showing me how much he loves me, what will he do for us in the future? Man, if I'm who evil and I know how to give my kids gifts, think about this. Hope looks back at what has, God has done in the past and looks forward to the future based on what had happened We've said it in other sermons where we've said things like, God's tomorrow determines my today. 
God's tomorrow determines my today. Another one we said, we said the Lord will reward. Thank you. Yes, two people remembered. That's great. Not one single drop when we talked about the cup of cold water in my name and every single little thing you do when you pour it out for Christ comes back. We look forward with hope to the future that is ahead of us. It is not an uncertain future, but a certain one. And then when I dive even deeper in this text, you know what I found out? In the original language, see, in verse 5, it says this hope that is laid up. And I'm not sure why they did that. Translators are smarter than me, and they know something I don't. But when I looked at it in the original language, you know what? It's not a past tense. It's a present tense. So if you translate it in the present tense, it would be this hope being laid up. This hope that is being laid up. Whoa, you mean my hope is being laid up right now? Like in this very moment, my hope is being built up. John 14, 2. Sorry, did I get ahead? I did. No, I didn't. We're right. 14, 2. John 14, 2. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. What is, Jesus is doing a lot of stuff, but what is one of the things he's doing right now? In this very moment, as we hope and wait, he's building a place for us. In this very moment, the foundation of your hope, your eternal future, is being laid by Christ himself. He himself is actively building that up. I think that's an amazing thought that at this very moment, Jesus Christ is working on my future home. Right now, your hope is being built up. That's an encouraging thought, and what that does is it leads us to peace. Peace in verse 2. We hear about grace and peace in the beginning of Paul's letter. And he's not just giving a greeting, but he's essentially saying those things that we desperately long for, that we really, 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 really want, can only come from God. Peace does not come from my political party. Peace does not come from my circumstances being just right. Peace does not come when my team wins. Peace comes from God. And verse 27, this is why I was confused. It's in the same chapter. John 14, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Leon Morris, one of my very favorite commentators, explains it like this. He says, when the world uses peace in a greeting, it expresses a hope. It can do no more. But Christ gives people peace at his bequest. Like, Jesus has peace. Like, if you ask me for an apple or a drink of water, let's say you say, hey, pastor, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? Right now, I have water. I can give it to you. In the same way, Jesus possesses peace. And if you want peace, you can ask him for it, and he can literally hand it to you. It is his to bequest. No one else 
but his alone because it belongs to him. That's why he says, my peace I leave with you. It's different than the world's. It's not the same. They don't have shalom. Only Jesus does. So three things, and we're just about, or two, yeah, three things, two or three. We're just about at the fourth. Four things we do, walk worthy, increase in knowledge, bear fruit of hope and peace. And as a result, what happens is, in verse 11, we are strengthened. We are strengthened. What's interesting is you see that all of these things lead to another. So increasing in knowledge leads to bearing fruit. Bearing fruit leads to being strengthened. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. When you increase in the grace and knowledge of God and what he did, his mercy and grace, then you have hope and you have peace. And when you have hope and peace, you're motivated. Think about when, for example, I don't know if it's a Christmas present or something you've ordered online or a bonus that's been promised or whatever, but you're looking forward to something. All of a sudden, your spirits are lifted and your attitude changes. That's what this is saying. When you increase in the knowledge of God, all of a sudden your spirits are lifted, your attitudes changes, you've got a whole new zeal in life, and you are strengthened. As a result, the only thing left to do is to give thanks. Give thanks. First um, Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks when I get what I want. Give thanks when people are nice to me. Give thanks when I receive the recognition that I deserve. Give thanks when my kids all cooperate and get along. Give thanks when there's a bank error in my favor. Amen. (laughs) Amen. There actually was, by the way, this week, a bank error in our church's favor. Our our accountant caught it, and we gave it back, just so you know. But, amen. Give thanks, verse 18 says, in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Look, if you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, in circumstances... Because the hope that is being laid up for us is sure and steadfast anchor that goes behind the veil. And Christ is seated on the throne in heaven where we're going and there's nothing to worry about at Midland where we're at right now. So give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what. Your team, your party, your day, not. Give thanks. Now listen, if you're like me, that's a bit convicting because that's exactly what I've done the last few weeks. (laughs) But now is a good time to repent. Now is a great time. Because we're still here and that means God's not done. And if that's the case, then there's time to repent and believe and repent and believe and repent and believe over and over again. That's the nature of the gospel. That's God's grace. It's all grace. When you understand that, Man, it changes everything. God's love changes everything. Live like the light while we're in the dark. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. 
We admit that this world is dark. We are um, in Christ at Midland, or in Christ in Michigan, in Christ in Missouri, in Christ wherever we're at and watching this today. But Lord, our spiritual location, it's more important than our physical one. Certainly our physical one affects us. We feel it. It hurts. We're not denying that. We recognize it and accept it as real. But we ask that you would help us to live and live well in your light. And we thank you and praise you for your love that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen.